to the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we focus on the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the ego of all other people at the table. I am one of your hosts, Dungeon Master Ian. And I'm Dungeon Master Mitch. And today we have a returning guest, Michael from the RPG Academy. And Ian, we're talking about something very near and dear to all of our hearts, which is... Splitting the party. Yes. So I'm looking really forward to getting to talk with Michael about that and sharing some advice on ways to make that an effective and fun experience and things to avoid when splitting the party. But before we do that, Ian, we have some five-star reviews. We do. This first one is going to be from A Ladu 123 It's entitled Best DM Advice Around, and of course it is a five-star review. Short sweet and simple he says this show is the best place to go for advice on dungeon mastering keep up the great work long live stop he or she we don't know <laughs> yeah yeah he or she but, uh, you know, <laughs> this individual <laughs> so thank you ayla do we really appreciate yeah, we that appreciate it our next one is entitled hashtag way too late and this is a special one not that they all aren't special they all are this one's from hashtag magic mark himself and it says five stars are here from hashtag magic mark just in time the 100th episode if you're new to the show it's well worth the listen to each of its 100 episodes but if you have to pick a few i'd suggest 8 15 25 31 34 42 50 66 90 and 96 gee i wonder why hashtag magic mark I, is suggesting I have a feeling those. he's not in any of those episodes <laughs> yeah. uh, just to get a feel for the show this review is for the dungeon master the only person at the table capable of playing the devil <laughs> killing podcast reviewers names mm, he's true with that and raising yes. the ego of every person with the ability to type in to an itunes review <laughs> thank you mark. hashtag magic mark hashtag uh, thank you and with that let's head to the meat i'm starving we ain't had nothing but maggoty bread for three stinking days <laughs> Why can't we have some meat? Looks like meat. Back on the menu, boys. Well, welcome to the meat. This week we have a returning guest, but man, it's been quite a long time since he has returned to the show. I think this is a long time coming. We're happy to welcome back to the show Michael from the RPG Academy. I am so excited to be back. It has been way, way too long. And it has made me realize that I have never had you on my show, which we need to correct very Ooh, soon. Well. Let's do it. Invitation accepted. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, we will make that happen very soon. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, if you want to hear more of Michael, you can also go and listen to him play Sorafel on our GM Showcase, the one run by Robert Aduki. Uh, it's pretty awesome. And just, he's quite an interesting character. But Michael, I wanted to just start this off. Usually we ask our guests about how they started in RPGs. You've shared that on the show before because you've been on, but I do want to take this time to ask you a little bit about something that's very near and dear to your heart, which is a catacon. A catacon has also become near and dear to our heart because we've now gone two years in a row to a catacon and been able to enjoy it. We've been able to see it grow from what it was two years ago to this past year. And I kind of wanted to just talk to you about that. The Kickstarter will be coming up in about a month. So can you just give us a little bit of a rundown of what a catacon is, where it started, where it's gotten to now, and also what you're hoping for this year? So a catacon is is the convention, the tabletop role-playing convention that the RPG Academy hosts. And uh, the story of, of its birth is, it's basically both based on my ignorance, but it has led to something I love, so I'm okay with it. So I went to Gen Con three years ago. It'll be four years this year will be my fourth Gen Con. I had never been to any convention at all before. I don't think I've been to any, even any sort of convention, not even role-playing convention before. Because I've been playing D&D and role-playing games since I was a kid. I was like 12, so it's been like, like 28, 30 years for me. But I've always been very secluded. It's been like my friends in my house, in my basement. I was never part of a larger community about role-playing games. And it wasn't until we started our own podcast that I thought, hey, you know, I live like two hours from Indy. Why am I not going to this Gen Con thing? It sounds really cool. And I think it would be good for the show. So let's go. So I got a couple of my friends who are part of the, sh- the show with me. We went. 
And I had the best time, the best time. And as we were driving home after that first convention, I looked at my buddy Travis. I'm like, I can't wait a year to do that again. Just cannot do it. That was too much fun. There's no way I can wait to a year. Let's do our own. And that's where the ignorance comes in. Because a smart person would have went home and Googled <laughs> conventions and found that there are dozens, <laughs> dozens of local conventions that are right around me throughout the entire course of the year. But no, I decided that we would do our own uh, we called it a catacon based on the academy. It's, you know, academy and convention put together. The first one was basically just a grandiose gamers weekend in my basement. I invited a bunch of people over. We had like, I don't know, like 12, maybe 13 people at one time. Nothing was scheduled. It was just, hey, you want to play a game? Okay. When you're done, hey, you want to play this game? Okay. And again, it was so much fun. Like, okay, we this is going to become an annual event. And then we had the second catacon. And this was after we had rebranded our show from D&D Academy to RPG Academy. And we, in, we opened it up to our listeners. And surprisingly, we had people that traveled from like Arizona that flew out to come hang out at my basement and no one got murdered. And, and it was, and <laughs> it was the best time. <laughs> no one got murdered. That I, know, that I know of, exactly. So yeah, so, it was, so the first two were just in my basement, but they both grew. The second year, we had some prizes were donated. We had a local game designer came and he did like a demo of his game and we had a tournament. And then it was like, okay, let's do this again, but let's, let's go for it. So we decided to go to Kickstarter. We raised like $4,000. We rented out this backwoodsy room in the middle of nowhere, <laughs> which, was, which was awesome. It was, it was awesome. driving up to a was, uh, big log cabin with vultures on the... Uh, vultures. Just knew literally was vultures murdered, right? hanging out. It was... Yeah, exactly. Uh, that was our first year there, and I remember driving up and being like, "Oh, <laughs> um, more nervous here yeah. than that I got here. We'll see what this is like." So we decided, "Yeah, let's do it again." So last year we went to Kickstarter, we doubled our goal, and then we actually rented out an actual convention center, a real live convention center. We had a, we had, we were building, we were on a marquee and everything. We more than doubled our attendance in one year, and growing and growing and growing. This will be our fifth year. So a Catacon fifth edition is what we're calling it this year. That's awesome. That's cool. Well, D&D is my favorite game. So, uh, <laughs> so we're going to be back in November at the Dayton Convention Center again. But uh, the Kickstarter is in April. go live April 13th. It's very important for us that people, if you're going to come to go through the Kickstarter, because again, we don't have any capital. Like we're not a business. We're just a bunch of people who like to play D&D who want to run a convention. So we have no money. So if we have to pay like all the deposits, we need those funds. So it's just, it helps us if people buy their tickets early. I know it's kind of weird to buy a ticket this, this that early for this event. It's like six months early, but it really helps us out. So far it's worked out. So we're fingers crossed it'll happen again. April 13th, plenty of badges available, discounted if you go through Kickstarter, some special swag stuff. And yeah, I mean, we're... We were planning kick this this at a catacon as we were driving home from the last one. Yeah, I'm so excited about it. I love it. Anybody who's listening to your show, you get to hang out with DM Mitch and Ian and some of the other guys. I can't remember the Bob Paul. I can't remember the other guy's name that was there. Neil, 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 Neil. Yep. Neil, Neil and there. Andrew was there Andrew from was We're there So Bad at Adventuring. Yes. But yeah, just to, yep. in all honesty, it's fantastic. And so when that Kickstarter goes live, if you follow us on Twitter, if you follow the RPG Academy, you will get those updates. And be sure to, if you're able to that weekend, if you're close, if you're not close and you want to make a trip, uh, it's worth it. It's awesome. And this is coming from a guy who, I'll be honest, the first year I drove up to that vulture-infested place, wasn't <laughs> sure how it would go. And so Chris and I made sure that we were like, well, we'll run our game and then we'll see how it goes and we'll head out the next day. And we came and we were, I think people have ex described it as like, we came and we blinked uh, right out of there. But our uh, driving home that time all we could say is, man, I wish we had stayed longer. It was awesome. And so this past year, we got to stay longer. It was great. If you like our other show, Geek Wars, we do Geek Wars live there. And so Absolutely. you can enjoy that as well. But but yeah, come hang out with us. Come hang out with the RPG Academy guys and a lot of other awesome people. And you can just literally just tweet at us and let us know that you are going to be there. And we would love to make time to hang out with you guys and play some games so i'm so glad my first you experience can. was not with vultures in a log cabin but at a convention center and it would really i'm glad nice it was because it's a great story <laughs> it, it's a good story. story we will have we will have that forever and the thing i'll say about a catacomb before i shut up is that it's a it's a convention put on by gamers and i know that's not you know that's we're not the only one by far 
but we are passionate about gaming. That's why we do our podcast. That's what, what our show is all about, is trying to get new people to start playing. And if you are playing, maybe get a little bit better at it by giving you some different viewpoints and examples and experience. So we put on the convention that we want to put on. It's, it's almost all gaming. There's very little other stuff. I mean, Geek Wars is one of the few things that's not an actual game that happens. And it is still kind of a game. It's a game, um, but it's not, an, it's it not a, a role-playing game. It's not a tabletop it, right. game. It, it's a literal game show going on about geeky things, all things geeky. Yes, uh, but you basically can't swing a dead cat at a catacon without hitting another podcaster <laughs> or an RPG designer. Without, without hitting s- dice and character sheets all over yeah. and knocking them and off the table. We had, I mean, well over a dozen different podcasters. I'm not going to name drop all of them, but there were a lot of them there. We had some game designers show up. We had some local authors show up. It's a very cool event, if I do say so myself. And I would appreciate as many people coming and supporting us. And and the last thing I'll say before I shut up about it is it is still a Kickstarter. It is still a, a, an entrepreneurial thing for us. So even if you can't make it, if that it sounds like something you think should happen, donate a couple bucks. Throw you know, Go to Kickstarter, do the $2 friend pledge just to help us get where help we Help make it a reality. It is, it is great. Um, yep. And the last thing I'll say is you mentioned that it's small, It's but honestly, that's part of the charm. You really get to know people yep. over that weekend. And I know that some people do love Gen Con and these bigger cons, but I the thing that I often hear is that it's just a mass of people and you meet somebody once and you won't see them the entire rest of the time. That's not what a catacon is. So that's a catacon. Definitely support it. Definitely, definitely think about going definitely just don't think about it and just go just go. Uh, yeah well, but beyond fun. that i believe ian you have a surprise question as we do for all guests so let's hit michael where it hurts give him that surprise question that he's not prepared for <laughs> michael if you were a wizard what class of magic would you be specialized in and why oh man uh, so i am a wizard uh at least whenever oh. i play D&D, like that's that's my favorite <laughs> class i yes. almost always play wizards so I love I love playing wizards, but I would probably want to do conjuration because hmm. I want to be able to bring things into this world by will alone. And I believe that is also. So, yeah, I think conjuration, like being able to summon things to, to help aid me in my time of need would be amazing no though all of them would be but yeah conjuration. you just want more magical friends we get it okay <laughs> I, I do i need more friends uh, i'm feeling lonely i need somebody to role play with i'm gonna conjure up a water angel. elemental yeah. right. i want a dire <laughs> cele- a celestial badger yes that, that's what i want oh the good old celestial badger Perfect. So let's talk about what we came here to talk about today. So when I asked you, Michael, what you would like to talk about, one of the things that you had a passion for, and lucky enough, we all here have a passion for, is splitting the party, being a DM and splitting the party or dealing with a party that is being split. What I'd like to actually start off with, because we are going to talk about tips, we're going to talk about why you would split a party, we're going to talk about things to avoid. I think what I'd like to start off with is for us each to briefly just give either our most favorable story about when either we as a DM or as a player had the party split, or our least favorite one, and maybe just give it a little bit of a look at like why was it our favorite or why was it our least favorite, so... Michael, you are the guest. Let's start with you. So I am a fan of splitting the party. I, I know that the old adage is that you shouldn't do it. And if the party all dies, then yes, you shouldn't have done it. <laughs> but I think it, I think it can add so much to the game. And I'm, I'm still going to struggle to think of a very specific instance. But I know there are times where I have done things where the party was split and they were both working towards the same goal. And almost kind of like a heist movie where one team had to accomplish a certain thing in order for the next team to get to the next spot. And that added a lot of drama Mm -hmm. and tension to whether or not, you know, we can't succeed if your team doesn't succeed. So they were very invested in, in supporting the other team. And that, that to me, that's the downfall of splitting the party or potential is that you lose the people who aren't actively involved. And I think it's actually a way to, to raise the drama and get everyone bought in. So again, I, I can't, I'm struggling to think of that exact moment, but I know that it, recently we had that where two teams were working towards the same goal, working back and forth, and each one was dependent on the other. That's sweet. What about you, Ian? So I would say one of the, the things that I'm really proud of, I too like to split the party, and that's because when I'm a player, I like to instigate and split the party. So it translated naturally to being a DM, and one of my favorite labyrinths that I ever made was a very Inception-like 
uh, interdimensional labyrinth. And so, you know, walls would slam shut and you'd be transported to another dimension with whoever you were in the room with. There'd be a lot of crossing back and forth. And it was the same thing. Everybody was working toward a goal, but different things would affect different pieces of the labyrinth to help players get from one point to another. And there were times when players were solo. There were times when players were duo or, you know, where they would actually, you know, the ranger and the sorcerer were up top and, you know, they were helping the fighter and the cleric down below covering fire and then they would have to move. But I think that that worked really well because, one, I knew my players and I knew they could handle it. And two, that labyrinth is just super cool. And it's something that I go back to quite a bit <laughs> because you're in extra dimensional space and it doesn't obey the natural laws of physics. So splitting the party is fun. If it's done right. <laughs> so you guys both were speaking favorably towards it, which I three liked splitting the party. And I think that it can be used to a really good effect. But I'll talk about one of my least favorite. So I was a player in a campaign at some point. We had the session that the party was split up trying to accomplish different goals. It wasn't a dungeon. It wasn't something that we said, hey, I'll, we'll turn left, you guys turn right. It was just our, our group had been split up so that we could accomplish separate things. And there was this I, I think I timed it to be about two hours that I sat at the table and I had no playtime and there were two other people along with me that had no playtime because a battle broke out and it was a pretty big battle and it took quite a long time. And there were different things that added into this. Uh, I remember one of the players just took a really long time to figure out what they wanted to do and wasn't really paying attention, which made it really difficult. And I consider myself to be pretty patient with those things because I too am a DM and and I don't want to be the like player who's like not like I understand the struggles of being a DM sometimes and that you're doing your best, but sometimes it's not happening. But I'll admit that two hours was really frustrating to sit there being the first thing that we got to do during that night is sit there and do nothing and could have came just later on in the night to just sit there and do nothing. And so I think that that was one of the most frustrating times that I, I remember. And then it got to the other party us and our thing took about five minutes which almost felt in a way like we were gypped not that we wanted the party to continuously be split up and have the other people sit there and do the exact same thing but that was a difficult thing so there you have it there's some of our stories i'm sure that these stories and these ideas behind this will come up as we talk a little bit more about splitting the party, but let's start this off. Let's talk about like, what is the purpose behind splitting the party? Like, let's take this with the perspective of as DMs, as we all are, as a DM, sometimes you set up something with either the option being presented to players that they could split up at this point, or you, I mean, there are times as DMs where we might set it up to the only option is for the team to split up to accomplish something. It might be a dungeon mechanic that the party has to split somehow. But what are some reasons why a DM would split the party up? So one of the things that I would comment here is that there's sort of a, a, a trope, I guess, of the situation where you have, let's say you have a rogue character, or even like a social character, like a bard. And then you have the barbarian slash fighter. And every time the rogue wants to do something sneaky, the barbarian fighter gets bored, kicks down the door, <laughs> and then instigates the fight. It's funny. We've all been there, and it's great. But there are some times where you want that rogue or that bard to shine. You want to give them their moment. So give the barbarian and the fighter something else to do. Put them somewhere else, and then just have like a heist movie. Have an espionage scene where the rogue gets to use all of their skills, and they're not, they don't have to worry about the first time they fail a role the fighter or the barbarian turns it into a brawl. Let the rogue figure out what they do when they fail to pick the lock. Let the rogue figure out what they do when their quick, you know, their bluff gets detected. How do they react to that? Uh, you know, you could have a situation where the fighter or the barbarian are, are like in a gladiatorial arena and they are fighting. So they get to have some combat and the rogue is trying to figure out who's trying to poison their fighter. So you have, again, this espionage high situation and you just cut back and forth between them. So you got the fight going on. You know, you do like two rounds of combat back and forth, and then you do, you know, 10 minutes of sneaking around, talking to people. Maybe you're the one poisoning the other fighters. Who knows? <laughs> but but letting the characters be the best versions of themselves is easier when they don't have that other person over their shoulder ready to take over at a moment's notice. That rogue and paladin situation is tropey, and it is funny in some situations, but it's a reality that I've seen at the table, and in reality, it 
can start as funny, but I've seen it get to the point where I could tell that the person playing the rogue was frustrated and fed up and felt like they weren't able to actually do what their character was made to do. And so granting people, granting their PCs a chance for them to be able to do what they they want to do, what they're mechanically set up to do, giving them that moment to shine. Splitting the party may be a perfect way to do that. You could even have a situation where maybe there's three out of four PCs that they would rather do the opposite of attacking head-on. They would rather be diplomats and discuss their problems. And you have one player whose character is more of a barbarian that wants to just run in and, and spill some blood. And so set up a situation where either some of the guys are not going to want to do that or they get split up and they can handle a situation in their own way and give them their moment. Yeah. I think for me that that shiny aspect, you kind of stole my idea there, Mike, but that's that's because we think of like, (laughs) is giving them that opportunity to shine because I grew up through two, you know, second ed and, and on into 3.5, especially in 3.5, the rogue was the skill monkey and, but you never got to use all those cool skills because, you know, you never were presented the opportunity to use them. And I think that, that shining is really important. And, and I would add to that that one of the reasons that I do it is to make my players think differently. You know, you present them with different challenges, different party combinations. You know, you don't always send the, the fighter with the rogue. Maybe you send the cleric with the rogue. And that provides some, you know, the cleric and the rogue don't necessarily get along all that well because one is a thief and one is like really righteous, you know. So presenting challenges, you know, especially when you've got the fighter who can't break down the door and needs to pick the lock. Making sure that, that the players are challenged, critically thinking, so that way they, they are solving problems in a different manner than they than they have been to kind of exp, you know pull those elements out of their character that they're necessarily not using at the moment. The other kind of the opposite example I would give is taking them out of their yes. comfort zone. I don't, I don't want to punish the player, but sometimes it's, it's fun to put the, the rogue in a situation where they do have to mm-hmm. fight. They can't do their other things. Because that, like you said, it challenges them in creatively thinking. Or you put the fighter in a situation, they cannot fight. You know, again, tropey, but you, it's the Tarzan situation. You put the barbarian in a, in a socially elite, like, ball situation, and they are not allowed to fight there. They have to navigate that socially in as dramatic or a humorous way as possible. But I don't ever want it to feel like it's punishment right. where, okay, I'm just going to take away all your cool toys. I just want to give you a new challenge couple hours maybe in a, in a game and then we'll go back to doing the other stuff but that's the kind of the two ways is to let them shine or to challenge mm-hmm. them yeah and challenges it should be about giving the players a fun experience yes. it's not about challenging them because you you want to see them fail because they've been kicking the butt of the monsters and you want to see them one-on-one that monster that they said oh dm we took that down so easy like this is it's about challenging them in a way that can make them appreciate the challenge not just be a frustrating thing i've also found that splitting the party can be really great for role-playing opportunities mm-hmm. if you have two people PCs that aren't clicking exactly, splitting the party could be a great opportunity to try and have that be something that changes. A dungeon that a trapdoor opens and two of the party members fall down, and now you have two party members uh, on the lower level and two party members on the upper level having to work together and think together, I mean, leads to some role-playing opportunities. Role-playing where the two PCs who don't normally discuss things have to discuss things, have to talk things out. And hopefully that leads to good role-playing and a better relationship at the very least, if not between the two PCs, because sometimes conflict can be great in uh, role-playing games, a better relationship between the players. Could also be somebody's new to the table yeah, and too. feels under like whelmed and or, or feels overwhelmed by the other players who know each other so well and is not getting a good chance to role play. And so splitting the party, whether it's, Hey, you guys have this job to go talk to the mayor, go do this. And so you have, you give that opportunity that that one player can focus on that new player a little bit and focus on his character and help bring him into the group a little bit more. I think the, the key to me when you split the party is every split, whether it's, you know, just in half or multiple splits is everybody needs something to do. Yes. Uh, going back to your bad example, you should never have a situation where you're doing nothing for two hours. I don't think you should have a situation where you're doing nothing for more than 10 minutes. The last, the other scene is just, 
amazingly intense and everyone is into it and they're they're enjoying watching the other side do their thing which i mean i'm a decent dm i don't know that i can pull that <laughs> off so i you know if you can more power to you but you know give them something to do and it, it doesn't have to be the same thing like you don't have to have everybody fighting so that you know though you certainly can and you can roll initiative once and it's easy and jump back and forth and you can have tension where you know the ogre stands up and charges but then i'm gonna cut over to you first and you're gonna do your action and then i'll jump back over and we'll let the ogre attack you but it just needs to be something that's equally as important yeah it can be dramatic or it can be humorous you could have a situation where someone's doing a very mundane task like they're just in the bazaar and they're shopping but you spend five minutes of role play shopping and you know talking to the shopkeeps and there's an orphan that runs by and it's all this sort of like idyllic almost mundane situation and then you cut back and you're fighting the vampire and his fangs are two inches from your throat and this the juxtaposition of mundane to exciting can cause it to be kind of a funny moment or an interesting moment where you know it depends on the, the campaign there's all these other factors but everyone needs something to do on their turn. Yes, I think that's something to me. I feel like we're on the dis- the topic of talking about tips on how to make it an effective thing and also things to avoid. And for me, that would be my biggest advice is that if you're going to DM something and it's going to be something you are intentionally setting up to split the party, that needs to be the top thing that you avoid is having players sit there and get bored and become distracted and bored with what's whatever's going on. I have one player at my table that will tell you that he can sit there and watch everybody else role play and he can sit there and enjoy himself. He's a weird guy. I love him, but he's a weird guy. <laughs> Nobody else is at that table that feels the same way. And you need to be able to, I think five minutes tops before you give somebody else a chance for me is my rule. It's that comic book strip where it says, meanwhile, and you just go yes. over. And like you said, Michael, it does not have, you know what? It doesn't have to be important. It doesn't have to be crucial to the story, but you want to keep your players involved and through their ridiculous thing with a shopkeeper, they might create an NPC that you get to work with the rest of the campaign that may become important. Maybe that battle going on is really crazy and really important, but give those players that are in the battle, please give them a, a chance to do something. I mean, an, another thing you can do is just let, if they're split up, let them role play the monsters, let them role play the enemies, let them roll for the enemies, give them, give them something to do. If you don't allow electronics and phones at your table, but you're having your players sit there for two hours, one hour, whatever, then don't you dare tell somebody not to pull out their phone or something because that's something that you've brought upon yourself. Like you need to be able to give all your players the same attention. And that's a hard thing to do. So just make sure you're able to do that and reminding yourself to do that. Well, and, and splitting the party doesn't have to be a big deal. I One of my favorite examples of splitting the party was they were in a tavern and they, you know, the bard and the rogue went to the, the bartender and were chatting up the bartender and a fight broke out at a table between the fighter, the paladin and the guys they caught cheating at cards and so you're cutting back and forth between this tavern brawl that's over happening in the one section of the bar and then you've, you're cutting back to this social interaction with the bar and the rogue and i'm flipping back and forth and you know finally everybody ends up in the brawl but you know it's just one of those things that you know you you, you spend five minutes with the the fighter and the paladin and then you go back and you're like all right so this is what's happening with the role playing and you know chairs are cracking over heads in the corner and and all that kind of thing but everybody got you know i feel e- equal time and an equal kind of coolness to what was going on until everybody ended up in the sheriff's office for fighting. <laughs> yeah, you need to make sure that either everybody, even though split up, that everybody some way is a part of the story going on or that they have some story of their own going on at the same time. And and you know what? I like that. That's going back and forth, even if it breaks up the current thing, I think it's important because personally, I don't want to be split up if it means, oh, you guys are going to role play for 30, 30, 40 minutes, and then I'll get to role play for 30, 40 minutes. Or five, five minutes. <laughs> well, five. and that's and that's the thing. Like, if it's short periods of time, awesome. Well, no, I, I was like, more referring can, back to your, like, you know, watching these guys play for, like, two hours, and then, you know, you get to play for yeah. 
five minutes. That's just well, yeah. But what I think what I meant is it doesn't matter if it's equal time right. if it's still a long time. You're going to lose people, so just make sure that you're taking pretty constant back and forths between both parties, or that you have the players involved somehow. And I would also say, even with the monster idea, talk to your players and make sure that that's something that they're okay with. Some players would be like, sure, give me the ogre. I'll roleplay the ogre and have fun. Some players aren't going to be interested in that and just want to get back to their pl- their character. Well, and good places to pause to switch are when characters are trying to make a decision. You know, if, if, if I feel like there are players exactly. that are, the party is split. Good places to pause that, is during a pause. Yeah, it's, it's when they're like, well, yeah. what do you want to do? No, what do you want to do? Well, I'm going to give you guys a second to talk. And while mm-hmm. you're talking, I'm going to deal with, with these other players over here who are in a different section of the dungeon or a different section of the, the social encounter, whatever it happens to be. If there's a, a, a brief moment of, hes- a brief moment of hesitation. Well, okay, you guys talk amongst yourselves, forget what you want to do. And I'm going to let's figure out what you're doing. I think I, I kind of touched on earlier, but if you are in a situation where everyone's in a combat, I'm a fan of just rolling initiative as if everyone was together. Yeah. Yes. And you just jump, you just jump back and forth as initiative dictates. So on 15, you go on 12, I'm jumping to the other room and, and that fight is going on and just, you just kind of go back and forth. But I'm a big fan of cutting on like the most dramatic mm-hmm. thing. If I can, you Cliffhanger. know, the, the, yeah, Give exactly. the player I mean, some time it, to, think about what just happened it could be like you know the it's almost like the final blow and the you know the Mm. vampire lord falls to his knees and he's about to tell you where the MacGuffin is kept yeah and right as i'm about to tell you yeah we'll cut over here exactly you know and it's a cheap trick but it works it keeps everybody engaged on the edge of their seat and it can be humorous in the right situation it can be dramatic in the right situation but yeah i love i love to cut back and forth where it's tension filled not just I mean, I, I completely agree with Ian that if there's a pause, that's a great transition. But I like to try to find situations that are like the opposite of that, where they're like, no, don't cut yet. You <laughs> and, know? and 100% that works because we can see that happening in literature for, for thousands of years. We can see that on TV, on like every episode of TV you watch in movies. Like it always cuts when something's about to be revealed or something big like that's when it cuts and it does. It builds that suspense and that tension and it makes it better. Stupid it's like you're breaks. you're absolutely right. <laughs> yeah. And uh, you can also you can play with time a little mm-hmm. bit, you know, where maybe some and even if the players don't know it, you, you get a little a little dangerous, but you could do a situation where they don't realize that they're not on the same time. I uh, don't give any spoilers for maybe HBO original series <laughs> that have been happening re- recently. But you have a situation where like, you know, they have to do a thing in order for you to succeed at a thing, mm-hmm. but maybe they did their thing two or three hours ago, but they don't know that that's what's happening as we're cutting back and, that's, and forth. I've done that before, and it, I, there are times when it works phenomenally well. Like, it just goes off without a hitch, and there are times where if you're not careful in the fact that you are playing in two different time periods, that, that it can get really wonky as the DM trying to keep it yeah. straight. Yep. I want to go back to something that you mentioned, Michael, about having the same combat, like two co- different combats going on at the same time, keeping one initiative. To me, if you're doing a dungeon and you are planning on splitting the party somehow, or if they do split on their own and they're both going to come into a combat situation, do it that way. That's 100% how you should do it. I think a piece of advice I would have is that if you have access to minis and maps, like that's a perfect time to use those for combat because if you can have two small maps going on at a table to distinguish i think that helps i think theater of the mind it might get a little like well i'll attack that orc no 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 uh i don't think you understand that orc is in the other battle right now with the other guys you're not there (laughs) so i think a little piece of advice i would have is just that's a perfect time to break out the map and the minis if you're if you're able to do something like that even if you're just drawing it down on a whiteboard or something it's nice to have a little visual just to remind all the players that are split up with one same initiative who is where and what they are facing another thing i like to do with splitting the party uh, i like to introduce some paranoia Mm -hmm. where you know because i'm a big fan of doppelgangers i love doppelgangers (laughs) so you know, you split the party, you get one character by themselves, you ask them, you know, you pass them a note, mm-hmm. and then you, you know, then you, and all the note says is, write something back and then pass the note back to me. And then you go, oh, okay. 
okay, so is that that person now? What's going on? Like, it's a very simple way to just to get people a little bit paranoid, adds a little tension, and then maybe someday they are actually a, a doppelganger because it's great when that uh, happens too. That's great. Uh, but yeah, but yeah, I, I did something similar in one of my campaigns with that where the actual two PCs, we had a group of four and two PCs were captured by doppelgangers that had some semblance of, it was like another plane of existence, some semblance of taking their memories, but the memories weren't complete and some of them were off. And so basically I had, I had pulled aside the two players and I said, all right, you've been captured. The other players don't know that you're going to come back together with them. I want you guys to role play as your PCs, but go ahead and like forget certain things or mention certain. (laughs) And, and it turned into this great role playing session where actually the, the other two players started to believe that those PCs were themselves, but had been brainwashed into this big cult or something that they, they not for a second did they think it was doppelgangers. And it was this great splitting the party. The party was absolutely split, but it gave those PC, those players a way that they could interact still. And they had a ball doing it. Yeah. To this day, this, this is probably a 20 year old joke, but uh, doppelganger says what? Did you want us to fulfill that joke? No, 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 no. I'm just saying, like, I use doppelgangers so much that, that like, people would just, anytime the party was split, yep. that would be the first question. Doppelganger says, what? Yeah. Uh, what? And, yeah. That's amazing. That, that, and that's, that's something that uh, when you have a love of doppelgangers, as our listeners know, since uh, in our top tens, almost always there's one of mine that has a doppelganger in it. When your players know that, too, they might be looking for that. So I, I'm proud to say that that one time... That is not what they thought was going on, so it was pretty great. <laughs> well done for you. That's yeah. when you know you won. <laughs> yeah, but I like what you mentioned earlier about TV shows. Like, mm-hmm. And I've said this before on our show. I run my games like an action TV show. That, like, that is why yeah. I'm not trying to emulate Tolkien. I'm not trying to emulate Game of Thrones. I'm trying to emulate Firefly mm-hmm. or the A-Team or some other, whatever the current version of that is because I don't <laughs> want TV anymore. But that's what I want you to feel like. And in those shows, people are getting split all the time. And you have, you know, you have character development scenes where it's just heavy role play. Maybe they go off and they, they have their own personal quest for a little bit and they get to, you know, find the thing that their mother did or, you know, the MacGuffin that they forgot when they left the army, whatever the case may be. But, you know, there's tension when, when people get split up, when Simon and River get separated from Mal, when Mal finds out that Jane, you know, turned traitor on them and then they have their moment together. It, it can be difficult to navigate because there is that old saying, don't split the party. And I think it goes back to the old type of the way D&D was ran, where you would build a dungeon, you would have encounters. And if the party decided to split... Because one guy's like, hey, I'm going through this door. You guys go through that door. You triggered two different encounters. <laughs> and then both of you had to fight a full-scale encounter. And you probably wiped the party all the time. That was my I first experience that... doing D&D. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, and, and I, go I was dungeon, the one I... who made that happen. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm terrible about splitting my own party. If I'm playing, I'm absolutely going to do that. I think but we're yeah, all I, of I, a I think as the there. <laughs> I want to split the party. Maybe that's why we like we like splitting the party because we're all the players that would in fact yes. split the yes. party. I, but I just think I think the old, the old trope of don't split the party comes from that mindset, yeah. not the storyteller yes. mindset. Because there's so much there's so much to mine, so much value that you can get from splitting the party as long as everyone. Well, has I, I think that's a, in large part due to the DM not scaling back the encounters or not thinking about scaling back the encounters when the party does split. It's a two-man party. I'm not going to throw at you a full-sized four-man encounter. I'm going to scale it back. So, yes, it will be hard, but there's a pretty good chance you're going to survive. And and I just, I, I've been in situations where it hasn't been scaled back because the DM was such a slave to the module that he didn't want to scale it back. And that, that led to a TPK. And, you know, I so I, I'm a big fan of, of splitting the party, but if you're going to do that, as a DM, you have to be aware that you're going to have to scale back encounters um, unless you've got like a multi-tier thing going on where you can have, you know, all the party in the same room just on different levels of the room or what have you. And you can do like a full four man encounter. 
But if you're not doing that, you really have to give your players a chance to survive. And that often means removing some bigger enemies, scaling back the difficulty, you know, maybe fudging the dice here and there if, if that's, you know, what's what it's going to take to get your players through alive. Don't be the guy that kills your party because you made them split. I can tell you from personal experience that you just triggered a couple listeners when you said fudging the dice. But go ahead, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I think that speaks to, I mean, that that is all, probably another entire show or another entire podcast on DMing technique. Like, are you the type of DM that says, okay, I've decided that there's four ogres in this room. And whether one character walks in or the whole party walks in, there's four ogres there because that's the world I've created and you are exploring that world and it's more like a simulation. Or are you telling a storytelling game where, oh, there's supposed to be four ogres, but because you split the party, now there's only one. I'm 100% on board with now there's only one. And that one may have dysentery and he's got a bad leg so that he's even weaker or she's (laughs) even weaker. If that fits the, you know, if that makes a good story, makes an, an important or makes a an encounter that makes sense. I'm okay with that, but not everybody is. And that, you know, it, that's okay too. But what I really thought of was a situation where you talked about multiple levels where they were actually on multiple levels of a, of a room. Mm-hmm. And then during the fight, the roof collapses and now you've rejoined the entire party. Together. Uh, so yeah. You got two fights going on and then you combine them back into <laughs> one partway through. I'm going to, I'm going to hit uh, up with that different opinion there. Cause I'll talk just a little bit about uh, like, I, I think that if you are DMing and let's, let's just go with the D, the dungeon and you're splitting the party up. I think if it's you, the DM splitting the party up, I think that you need to go into that with going if I TPK this group because I set up a dungeon that wasn't built to have this party split up. This is on me. This is this is something that's on me. Personally, if I set up a dungeon and the party decides to split up for whatever reason, and with my players, it's usually because somebody wants to go off and, and find that treasure chest by themselves and get, get their gold. <laughs> I've had that happen quite a few times. But if that, if that comes and ha- that happens because the players decide... I personally won't change it. I I think that it's it's just the world is set. The world is the way that it was. And that being said, though, I think as a DM, I would try to, as much as I can, make it very obvious that this battle is above you. <laughs> you can try, but this battle is above you. And I would also try to make sure that this just gave an opportunity to role play. Remember that time where you had to run away and you knew you had to run away and you had to run screaming for your party because that ogre was behind you. And I, I still see it as a role playing storytelling opportunity, but I see it as a good opportunity to tell a story where, yeah, that just didn't work out well for you now, did did it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I do agree with you that if I'm the DM and I'm the one that's sort of forcing the party to split, then I need to have a better sense of humor about the encounters. If the party decides on their own to split, I'm I'm probably going to be less forgiven. I'm probably still going to modulate it a little bit, maybe give them a way out that wasn't there before. Like, you know, the other door is now unlocked where originally I decided it's locked. So if they try to run through that door, they're not going to get stuck or, you know, or someone else comes in or there's an explosion and, you know, just, I want to add some, some, something to the battle that gives them an opportunity, but I'm probably less likely just to completely fudge things or change things. If they are the one that are making that decision, especially if they as characters or players should know better as yeah, far as like they've yeah. been told, you know, something's happened earlier. Like, Oh, don't go into the red door room. There's four ogres in there. And then, you know, Rathgar the Barbarian's like, hey, I'm going to go open this door, see what happens. You know, I'll give you an example of a story just so the listeners know I'm not also trying to just murder my party because of a mistake they've <laughs> made or a decision they've made. I remember one time my party uh, in my game decided to split up and one of the players came up to a huge hulking enemy that, in my description, they sat there and they knew, as did all the party, that this thing that hadn't engaged them yet was not a one-on-one battle for them. And so this player decided to do it anyway and really should have mechanically died but i saw that as a great opportunity to have this creature decide to bring him back to his lair put him in a cage and keep him as a pet and then the rest of the party found out about it and they had to go on a sneaky mission to save him so it made a great story out of a decision that 
I think I think for me it would have been a difficult thing to say. I'm just going to let you murder this thing really easy. And I know that's not what you guys are talking about, but I think we would all be on the same page to say TPKing a party because mechanically things don't line up is a, is a rough decision that shouldn't be taken lightly. That's for sure. Well, I would say that death is a consequence of D and D for failure. I think it's the most boring consequence. Having to start over with a new character doesn't do anything for that character, doesn't do anything for that story most of the time. But what you talked about was a perfect example of failure created an interesting consequence. They were captured. What if they were on like a timed mission and an entire Mm. village died of the plague because you arrogantly thought you could take on this monstrosity? And even if you just like fast forwarded through, okay, you get captured your party has to spend a week to get you out. We're not going to, you know, we're not going to deal with that. Though we, I probably would because it sounds awesome. But now you're a week behind. You get to the village of, you know, whatever, gobbledygoo. Everyone's dead. Congratulations. That is a consequence that for that character that's going to weigh on them that could lead down the road to some very interesting role play and, you know, dramatic and, you know, weighty, meaty role play where if you just killed that character, then they're essentially scot-free of any consequences. Yeah, I think that failure is something that is completely good and fine in a game. And we've said this many times in the podcast, but it shouldn't be. There's a difference between failure and punishment (laughs) and punishing your players because of something. And there's a difference between that and simply going, yeah, they're going to fail this way. And how does this affect the story? And I mean, there's, there's been times where uh, my players have been frustrated through failure, but whether I've engaged them in talking about it, or they've just had a little bit of time to think over the story. There's been a lot of times where they've come back with a renewed excitement because they're like, Hey, the story changed in a way I wasn't expected. And now I'm able to, to role play in a really deep, compelling and awesome way. And I think that's a good thing. Yeah, you look at any media, TV, movie, books, whatever, the hero almost always gets taken, gets the better of them until the last arc. You know, the villain gets the upper hand, then you have the, you know, you overcome that. If you are always winning, that's kind of boring. Yeah. Wrapping this up, is there any last piece of advice that you guys would give to someone out there DMing who is looking to split their party in the near future? We touched on having the other players assume roles. I'm all for that, but you need player buy-in. As you said, some people Mm. would want to do that. Some people would not. And if it's like other NPCs, that can even get more tricky because they they may go crazy with that and role playing stuff that's like i that, that makes no sense for the story i'm telling or someone who's just shy and doesn't really want to do that but i'm all for it with player buy-in i think it can it can definitely add to the game yeah i would say you know if you're going to split the party and you're planning on doing that then plan accordingly don't just do that and and you know we, we mentioned equal time and equal importance, but not necessarily the same. So, you know, if you're going to have one party in combat while the other party's like trying to sneak through something, give equal time to both and plan ahead so that you are able to do that effectively once that come once that opportunity comes around. Because if you haven't planned and if you're not giving equal time to everyone, they're going to they're going to disengage, they're not going to focus, they're not going to want to buy in to that particular night's story and you're going to lose your players and so i i think that that's super important you've got to really even if it's just a loose skeletal outline you really have to plan well if you're going to split the party i think my last piece of advice and i think that both you michael and ian would agree with me is we all like splitting the party but i would say do it as a dm sparingly Don't overuse it. I know personally I have a player at my table that no matter how exciting and engaging I try to make a split of the party, um, he will go on record saying that it's his least favorite thing. So I need to keep that in mind as a DM and remember that that's just something that he is not really, he doesn't like any downtime in role playing. And that player um, is not me. (laughs) <laughs> I think we all know that. But yeah, and, and so, that's the thing too. Some of the players love it. So being a DM is sometimes juggling the different things that your players like. But use it sparingly. Reading reading the table, absolutely. Yeah. So let me throw throw one more out there would be maybe you do schedule it like you were saying where where a couple of the players do come later. 
Like if you don't want to do it, you don't want to go back and forth, then maybe you schedule a one-on-one session on an off game night. Or I'm a big fan of sending emails. Maybe you handle like a one-on-one role play session. That's not really exciting. There's not, maybe it's not the combat. It's just a heavy role play scene. Just do email chains back and forth throughout the week. You come back to the table. That player's had an amazing character development session, but no one lost any time at the table. for Perfect. It. So Michael, if our listeners would like to get in touch with you, if they'd like to hear more of you, where can they do all of that at? Pretty much if you search the RPG Academy anywhere, if you find something, it's probably us. I'm most active on Twitter. I'm on there way more than I need to be. Um, Facebook, we have a Facebook page as well. And of course, the website, therpgacademy.com. We are a podcast. We release a ton of episodes, a lot of different type of stuff, advice shows similar to this one, actual plays, both long form and short form, interviews with other creators and designers. We even do movie reviews on occasion. And we just started doing Twitch and YouTube. So any of those things that sound interesting to you to search for the RPG Academy and you'll find us. Perfect. I'll shamelessly also plug once again, you can hear Michael on the GM showcase and you can hear his co-host Caleb on Geek Wars. And hopefully maybe someday I'll get Michael to appear on Geek Wars. Let, let me get you on my show first, and then we'll go back and Perfect forth. deal, my friend. Well, Michael, thank you so much for joining us. Say bye to the listeners, and we'll hopefully see you again soon. All right. Thank you for having me. It really was a pleasure. Appreciate it. And uh, look forward to hearing the episode when it comes out. Well, that was our episode. We hope that you enjoyed our discussion on splitting the parties and that it was able to help you for planning the next time or the first time that you do intend to split your PCs or as might happen if you have a player like any of the three of us it just happens because the pcs make it happen anyway so if you'd like to get a hold of us in any way whatsoever you can hit us up on our email address dungeon master block that's dungeon master with no s block at gmail.com and you can also head over to itunes if you enjoyed our show and leave us a five-star review and chances are you'll get a shout out on an upcoming future episode You can follow us on Twitter at DMS underscore block. That's at DMS block. And you can like our Facebook page. Both of those places are a great place to get updates about the show and links to our guest Twitter and whatever it is else that we have on there. We have a Patreon member shout out of the week. And this week's Patreon member shout out goes to Chuck Fenwick. Thank you so much, Chuck. Chuck, I know you've been a longtime listener, and thank you so much for deciding to support our show on Patreon. Chuck is a silver dragon, so fear him. My favorite kind. Yes, fear him as he streaks through the sky. I just realized that that's a funny thing to say, streaking through the sky. But all (laughs) dragons are naked, so that's all right. So anyway, thank you so much, Chuck. We really, really appreciate it. This show is a proud member of the Block Party Podcast Network. Check out other shows like The GM Showcase, Geek Wars, We're So Bad at Adventuring, and more. Well, that's it for this episode of the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of all other people at the table. This is Dungeon Master Ian saying we'll see you next week on the Dungeon Master's Block. Keep on Dungeon Mastering. Goodbye.